0: Greetings, Voyagers. Welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. This is episode number 152. Today's date is Tuesday, April 14th. And what is it? It is day 30 of quarantine and self-isolation in New York. All right, my guest for today is Jeffrey Eaton. Jeff is the singer of the band Modern Life is War. And he's also got a new project that we talk about pretty extensively here in this episode that's called Feel Free Hi-Fi. This is Jeff's third appearance, which makes him the most active member of the Voyager family. If you go back to, wow, like mid-2018, Jeff was in the 60s. So if we're on 152, we're almost 100 episodes since the last time he was on. And he was one of the last people, I'm trying to pull this up now, he was one of the last people to come on the podcast right before I left for you know for six months or really what turned out to be like a year of travel and uncertainty and unemployment. Where is he? He's sixty four. Yeah, so that was the second time that he came on, and that was like just a couple of days after Bourdain's death. Which maybe it sounds weird to say, like I didn't actually know him, but uh, felt weird for me. Because he had been an inspiration and that was quite a sudden thing and an unexpected thing. So we had talked about him. And then obviously we talked about a lot of band stuff and art stuff. If you're not familiar with some of my past episodes, Jeff writes and and sings and performs in the band that for me was like one of the most influential bands of my younger years and, and continues to be through this day. Uh, you know if you're in the world of you know punk and hardcore music they're like my black flag and i think what makes them so special is jeff's writing he draws a lot of influences from outside of the world of 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 hardcore and punk music from authors to musicians to just people in life and it reads to me a lot like like prose sometimes it reads to me a lot like poetry and it doesn't follow necessarily like a lot of the thematic things that you'll see in typical like punk and hardcore music. Uh, and it's always it's always spoken to me, their energy, their rawness, um, both on recording and live is just really unmatched in my mind. So, you know, I'm a fan of the music, even here at 33 years old, I'm a, I'm a fan, but also it's interesting that I've sort of moved past just that fan portion of it, and now like this was... As much like a check-in call as it was a let's talk about music call, so it was cool. I've seen Jeff talking a lot about the Feel Free Hi-Fi project on social media, and so I was really interested in that. Like I had seen some like snippets of it, and the the brief me, uh, the brief content that I've seen about that has seemed really cool, and the visuals for it are really cool. So it was cool to check in about that and about Modern Life Is War and to see where he's at because the last time I had talked to him. He was in um, in Arizona. I tried to connect back. If if you were... I never recorded about Death Valley actually, but I, re- I tried to connect when I was out in San Francisco, and then just had to had to race out of town, so it didn't connect. So that was over a year ago, huh? So it's been it's been quite a while. So it was cool to connect and to catch up. And if you're a fan of the band and of his music, I think you'll be really excited to hear about some of the projects that are coming up. That we talked about in this episode. Always grateful and uh, gracious to be able to spend some time talking to him and to to hear about what's going on in his life. So this was really a, a cool treat for me and a cool check in. And uh, one of the you know the good things that come out of this weird Corona time. Yeah, you know, I'm trying it, my as best as possible to to find the positives and to be I don't know if productive is the word, but to try to use this this time to my advantage as best as I can. And that's, you know, that's shown itself in being able to connect with people, which has been really great. So I hope you enjoy this one. I am going to play a song right here after the jump instead of the interlude music that I usually play. And that song is going to be Indianapolis Talking Blues. That is off of Modern Life is War's most recent, um, you know, seven-inch single as part of that, the Tribulation Work songs uh, series that's been going on. And I picked this one because it's a departure from what they typically put out, and I think a departure from most of what you would expect to hear it from like from the genre, if that makes sense. Um, it's much more like spoken word. If if there's anything that they've put out that comes close to what this is, maybe Stagger Lee, because that was kind of kind of spoken wordy, kind of poetic. But also like very much uh, instrumental driven, whereas this is this feels a lot more like spoken word and poetry. I bring this up in the episode, but I know he's a big fan of of Patty Smith and like there's like a, a cool, clear apparent um, piss factory influence so if you if you don't know that that song that she put out, um I think it was like on the the first release she put out uh. I think that was in Just Kids, but you can you can find it on YouTube if you're unfamiliar with it. But then then go buy it if you listen to it and you like it. I think you will. So again, that's Indianapolis Talking Blues, and that'll play right after this. And the name of that will be in the show notes for this episode if you want to go check that out. Make sure you buy their stuff. It's super hard, obviously, to be an artist right now, and whomever you are, I'm sure it's super hard, whichever situation you're in. Um, but if you're able to support some of the cool people here on this podcast. Um, I'd certainly be appreciative if you did that. And I know the, the guests would be, you know, would feel indebted to you for, for supporting them during this time. Uh, speaking of support, if you want to support this podcast and keep these episodes coming, you can do so on Patreon. I have a Patreon account and that is patreon.com slash the voyages of Tim Vetter. That's a subscription-based service. You know the deal. Um, some of the cool kickbacks are I, I have shirts that I've made and I can send you postcards from around the world when things open back up again, um, planning on being back out there to bring you some episodes from different corners of the globe. So the the Patreon account helps to you know fund those things and to keep these episodes coming. So if not, uh, feel free to hop on to social media, share it with someone, share it with a friend, a family member, or leave a, a rating and review because that goes a, a really long way to keeping these episodes coming. Awesome. Uh, so hopefully you enjoy this one. If you are a first-time listener, make sure you go back and listen to the first two episodes with Jeff. I think that provides some com- some context into the the relationship that we have, and sort of explains uh, you know a little more in depth my interest in them, and provides some context and backstory to this. If you've listened to those two already, enjoy this one.
1: White slum on a broken night. She was the glue illuminated by the moon. The sighting spray paint hieroglyphics Scrawled on walls. What makes a man kill? She questioned. And drunkards chattered my reply. The gunshots are getting closer starts tomorrow at 8am bricks in my pillow at 7.30 this has been a sad day for country music you cannot untie this knot countless broken backs for countless useless products a dignified man and a job well done crucifixion in our nation of perverts, attention fetishist shoppers, thriving survival is your God. Leave lives in ruin if you must. We need tabloids. We are safe, we are fit, and we are having fun. The stench of burning flesh will never reach this neighborhood tie this knot, what makes a man kill, is it noble when it is his order, is it pitiful when it is his will, countless broken backs for countless useless products, a lifetime of suspicion, a timed escape from a trained fleet of rats, a polished boot grinding into your neck, baring teeth for biting ankles. Is what makes a man kill.
0: I think the last time we recorded was about a year and a half ago and you were still living in, uh, in Arizona at the time. And I was wondering just, uh, yeah, I think I reached out to you. Like I was in San Francisco and I was going to try to pop over to, to Oakland and didn't make it over. Uh, but wondering how, how that transition has, uh, has treated you so far.
2: Well, it's treated me really well so far. I had a pretty easy transition because I, I had been offered a place to live, um, which was sort of part of my motivation for coming up here. Um, and so I, I had a, a, I knew I had a solid place to live that was relatively affordable for this region, which is still expensive. Um, but so anyway, so that kind of fell in my lap and then I, ended up getting a job at a cafe that is like a mile from the house that I live at. And that was also sort of a, you know, a thing that I just stumbled into. And so between the living situation and the job, and I got the job basically the day I landed in Oakland, which was the very begin, very first day of 2019. And so I just stumbled right into a job and I already had a nice place to live lined up. And it just, fell into my lap very easily. So I've just been, um, you know, last year was just a very interesting year in a lot of ways, but um, overall, you know, I, I was interested in this place and I was happy to be able to come spend some time here. And it's, it's, it's just been a great experience so far.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like obviously people sort of, online avatar is not always like a a real representation of their life but i I don't go back and listen to old episodes mostly because it's it's hard for me to listen to myself but i remember that one being like a little bit dark uh i had felt weird it was like like in the post bourdain like the first few days after hearing bourdain had died and i remember talking about that but seeing you you know interact in the in the digital world like you seem uh you seem to be pretty happy and in a good place. Is that fair?
2: Yeah, I'm. I'm doing really, really well right now. It's yeah. I'm in a good. I'm in a good place.
0: What's it like right now? So like, things are super weird in New York, um, in terms of like. So like, we just we did laundry this morning, and there's one laundromat open. It's open two days a week, uh, so it's been like a solid month before we could wash anything. And you know, I mean, you see it on the news all the time, I'm sure. Uh, but um, you know, bars are closed, cafes are closed. Uh, you know, there's lines to get into to the pharmacy and stuff like that. What's the what's the scene like right now in 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 uh, in Oakland?
2: Well, uh, well, I lost my job, so oh, shit. The, the cafe. Yeah, so the cafe that I, you know, got a job at, I ended up managing, uh, so I managed that for the last year pretty much. And it was my daily life routine to be there. I knew all the regulars and, you know, was I was spending a lot of time there. And it's a cool little neighborhood spot, independently owned. And so it was, that was, my life here was, the house and socializing with my roommates and then working. And, um, and that was, you know, that was enough for me. <laughs> it was cool. You know? Um, and then, yeah, this thing hit and the transition was really fast between the day that I heard of the thing, you know, Oh, this, so there <laughs> is this disease that exists, this virus that exists. Um, and then the time that like the cafe had like shut down and I was home in uh shelter in place mode. Yeah. And you know, that transition just took place really fast. So that was obviously like a whirlwind I think for everyone. Um, but I will say that around Oakland, I've been trying to do the right thing as I understand it right now, which is to avoid contact with people. And so I have been trying to do my best practice with that. But when I go out into nature, I do some hiking, you know, I do some things that are like necessary to feel okay and feel healthy. And so my interactions with people have only been positive. I haven't seen anyone acting crazy or acting rude and all this here. Um, but I I like the people here and I think there are a lot of very honest, like warm people here. It's part of the reason that I, you know, I moved here. So, so I think the people here in particular, like right now are handling it pretty well. I know San Francisco is different. San Francisco, I think appears to be like a post-apocalyptic ghost town scenario Oakland is neighborhoody. and doesn't feel like that. Like, I, you know, there's people at my neighborhood park. There's people at my corner store. There's people at, you know, skateboarding down the street. It just doesn't feel like everyone's in a cage, you know, hiding or something. Yeah. But the cities do give that vibe when I see photos and videos, but I haven't left, so I don't know.
0: Yeah, it's weird here. Like, my building is all Hasidic, and they put anyone who's you know, like a Gentile, I guess, like a non-believer up on the fifth floor. So that's where we are. But like the rest of the building is like, they do not care about Corona. So they're out and about and like not wearing masks and stuff like that. But like yeah, yeah. Im- immediately outside that area, it is a bit post-apocalyptic. Like there's a lot of homeless folks wandering around and the- they're the only ones that are out 24-7. It's weird, man. But I was thinking like, yeah, you know, I, I guess this is a creative venture with- that I do. Um... But, you know, as someone who is a writer and creates music, is being shut in, like, good for that creative process? Or do you feel like you're you're kind of being stifled?
2: I feel like, yeah, i I've been struggling with the sentiment that I have on a lot of this because this is such a destructive thing that's happening in the world, but in my life, I needed and wanted time more than anything. And there's always the financial pressure on time and the productivity pressure on time. And it's hard. I just always felt like I was coming, like I was always a bit on my heels and trying to play catch up in life. Mm. And the, idea that I could just slow down for like an entire month and then another month and just have time to work around the house and be healthy and make food and just sort of regain my humanity a little bit. That sounds like a dream come true situation to me, but I thought it was totally, uh, I would honestly think about a scenario like that and try to plan for it. Like, okay, if I save this much money, I can just take this time off, you know? So, okay, I'll save this many thousands of dollars and I'll take two months off and I'll get this time, this sacred time that I need to, you know, collect all my creative projects and everything that I have a backlog on. And you just think it's... You know, never really going to happen because in the economic system we live in, even if you save that money, if you do use it to take time off, you're just shooting yourself in the foot because now you're still on your, now you're right back where you began. You're on your heels. You, You know, you're not, you don't have what you need to exist in the world. And so you're constantly chasing after it. And so... I guess what I'm saying is for me personally, this has been, it's felt like such a great thing in a way, but I know that there's death and suffering and it's horrible. And the economic repercussions, I think are already clearly going to be more devastating to people than the disease related ones, probably by far. And so, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm trying to be very, very aware of, how bad things are and all the suffering, but on the flip side, like I feel fine and I'm dealing with it, but I'm, I still feel like lucky to be alive and lucky to have a chance to help. Like I want to help, you know, but I don't know exactly how that's going to play out yet, but I want to help and all this for sure.
0: Yeah. And I think that's fair. Like, I think maybe there is like a little bit of, almost like guilt and thinking like cuz i'm i'm thinking too like hey i get to i get to do a lot of these episodes now right and obviously this isn't something that makes money for me but now that everyone's home there's some people i've been reaching out to for 4 years that are like now just getting around to being like all right yeah i'll hop on the podcast like i'm home
1: <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> so yeah. from from that sense i can kind of exploit the time and use it you know to my advantage but yeah to, like Economically, I mean, I don't know how deep into the wheeze I want to go with this, but like, just regular closing of businesses aside, like obviously that's going to be des- devastating. Like the the corporate takeover that's coming out of the stimulus is gonna is gonna have reverberations through like the rest of our lives. Um, and then like you know obviously for for creatives and like people, right you know, So like you play in a band. I was reading, I think it was like the Times had put out that as we like slowly reintegrate into the economy, that like venues might not open up to like the fall of 2021. I don't know if that's, you know, worst case scenario or if that's what's going to happen, but like, holy shit. Um, (laughs) That's crazy. I don't know. Yeah. The whole
2: process Of this unfolding has been an interesting lesson in understanding or kind of like your ability to process information because I don't know what day the first word was uttered about it in our media, but our, our curve of understanding of this whole thing has been so slow. It's like, I just remember for a week or two at least, I felt like every day I would be like, okay, I understand what's going on. And then the next day I would wake up and realize that the day before I had no idea what was going on actually and how serious it was. And so my, my point being that even yesterday, last night, I looked at the news before I went to bed, and I watched the president's address, and I watched <laughs> which I'll talk about
0: the video and one from yesterday. I,
2: and then the other thing that i I read was on the the California State website that is the Western States Pact was formed.
0: What's that? Holy shit, I haven't heard about that.
2: That is basically three states on the West Coast, California, Washington, and Oregon, binding together to handle the crisis as a region. And it's sort of implied that the reason why they're doing that is because they don't feel that the federal government is being a federal government and so there's a lot of underlying notions about that being <laughs> people are saying things about you know secession and yeah it, it, it's it's point is pointing to very heavy political things in my opinion i guess is what i'm saying yeah it's very symbolic like why are <laughs> why are three states making a regional alliance It's for for the reason and one of the things that's implicitly stated in the statement, I mean, you can read the statement, it's pretty simple, but one of the things the statement comes out and blatantly says is that they will be basing their decisions on science and logical approaches and not politics, which is kind of a direct response to the way the federal government and you know the the president's handling it
0: so yeah there are a lot of things that seem if you do look at it from a strictly logical standpoint and you take like the humanism out of it it's like oh that makes in a way it makes sense right so i'll give you an example like they were saying well if you get tested and you have the antibodies that show that you uh, are now immune because at some point you had had, you know, COVID-19, you'll get maybe a bracelet or like, um, I think Great Britain was talking about like a specific passport type that'll allow you to travel. And it's like, yeah, I guess that does make sense. But then it seems like such a, a dangerous prelude to like a potential like dystopian type of situation where like, it, does that lead to someday if, if you're HIV positive, That now you can't go anywhere without someone knowing because like you'll have that wristband or something like that. I've seen like some jokes and memes and stuff like that online about like this is very Stephen King like, Um, but it is. (laughs) It's. I'd like to think that you know these things are all being done with the best intentions of everyone in mind, but then again, like you look at the stimulus, and there's sixty billion for the cruise industry. Like what the hell? Yeah, we're all going to get a thousand dollars or twelve hundred dollars, but we're going to be paying ten thousand in the I long had, run. I had, I had, What's that? I
2: had not heard that. What was the number?
0: Um, I b- believe it's sixty billion just for the cruise industry. Like if you if you look at the billions that are going to to, to corporations from that stimulus, we're all happy getting twelve hundred. But it's like you're going to be paying out exponentially more than that over the years in like corporate bailout money. Like it's we're getting fucked, man. Like it's not good.
2: Well, yeah, I think that what, what I was, my long winded point about under, you know, the curve of understanding the whole thing is basically that I think each day now starting yesterday, we're going to see a lot of social unrest because I don't think that there is any, I just think we're in for a lot of trouble. And I think, I think everyone kind of is that's dawning on everyone and it's getting more and more serious. And I think the tragedy of that is that <clears throat> everyone kind of knows that there was a way to handle this that could have been so much better. And I think the media's agenda, uh, I don't want to like get into like weird stuff, but like, you know, the media is just so for profit, I guess. And then the, the, the politicians are so, partisan in the way they do things that I don't think I don't think anyone was able to deliver the country just like the straight message that the country needed to hear because there was too much noise like no one could they couldn't agree on a statement and then give it to us because everyone had a different agenda and different goals and different values in mind so therefore we didn't get the important message that we needed and so it was confusion and now it's months later and that we've <laughs> made this entire disaster out of a situation that, you know, could have been manageable, but scary, scary. What's going to happen next?
0: Yeah, it definitely feels, um, it feels pretty surreal. <laughs> um,
2: it feels it feels very 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 surreal to
0: me. Yeah, and sometimes I'm wondering like that's sort of why I was asking I guess about about Oakland about California because like I like I don't know I, I'm assuming not every place looks like New York now like I'm assuming if you've got a ranch in Montana right now like life would probably still feel pretty normal, um, but just because like. I'm stuck here. I don't see anything outside of, dude, we have this tiny little apartment. Like I'm lucky we have rooftop access that no one uses. Cause we go up there. But other than that, it's like we go to the grocery and the bodega down the block and that's it. Like, so I don't get to see outside of this little bubble. Yeah.
2: And how, how long have you been doing that for?
0: Um, how long have I lived here or how long have we been secluded?
2: No. How long have you been sheltering in place?
0: So it's kind of weird. I won't, like, you know, talk about specifics for my job, but my last day was March 13th. I flew to Florida on March 14th because my mom got married. And it's interesting because, like, when I flew, we got to Florida, and I had felt, like, really, really sick. Um, And I had already had the flu, which was like the influenza B or something. So I was like, you got to be kidding me. Like I'm getting the other version of the flu now. Like this is ridiculous. So we flew home, flew home on the 15th. And since then we've been sheltered in, like I've been working from home, but the past two weeks I had a horrible, uh, like respiratory infection. And I went to the doctor, like a urgent care and, they were like, you know, you don't have a bad fever. You definitely have like the dry cough and you have a respiratory infection, but you're not in a risk group, so we can't test you. But they're like, you know, just assume you have it. <laughs> I'm like, dude, what? Um, which is weird. And and like the doctor was even like, oh yeah, like in New York, we're all going to get it. Like this is literally what he said to me. So I'm like, okay. So like then the numbers we're yeah. seeing are like... Uh, You know, grossly underestimated. Like so, like thirteen million people are going to have it. (laughs) Um, But yeah, long long way of answering. Like we've been sheltered in since March 13th, so it's been a it's been a month. uh, March 15th, so it's been a month now. Sheltered in whatever it is called.
2: Yeah, yeah. I I was a few days later. I, I think the 18th was my first day home, and and I've just been home since. So my my house is. I'm on the front porch right now as you can see. So this is uh, a pretty comfortable house to be in because it feels very open and spacious. Um, But, you know, just total residential little neighborhood. I I can get on the roof. You know, I can go for a walk. So I'm kind of like, it's not a bad situation at all.
0: Is it interesting, man, because like you mentioned wanting the time, right? And now you have it. My partner who I live with, Um, she just got certified to teach yoga. And obviously like all yoga studios are shut down. Um, But she does like a weekly class for friends and family and some colleagues. And she always like sets sets an intention at the beginning of it. And she was talking yesterday about having all this time now and like almost feeling maybe even from me and from other folks, like the pressure that people say, well, now that you have the time, like learn a skill, be productive. You need to do something while it's here because it's gonna go away, and we're gonna be back to, you know working in a physical setting at some point. Do you feel that at all in terms of creativity and writing? Do you like is it like oh man, I, I gotta I gotta write for myself or I gotta put down music for and we'll get to like musical projects and stuff. but like is, is there a burden yeah. burden at all to like make sure you use this time while you have it?
2: Yeah, I'm I I don't it's been interesting I mean I it, it's been interesting times, you know, since I, since we talked last. I feel like, you know, some things have changed with me. But I don't feel pr- undue pressure or like I need to accomplish any certain amount, but I am certainly waking up every morning at a certain time i usually set an alarm if i don't and usually i wake up before my alarm anyway but i have an alarm set i wake up i try to like make my bed straighten up my room make coffee stretch like really get the day started in like the best way possible and Yoga has sort of become part of that for me, which I almost hesitate to say because I don't know a lot about it. And I've sort of been practicing my own brand of it here because I, I, I'm not uh, trained in that or anything. But I I guess what I'm saying, in terms of productivity or create creative pursuits, I'm just trying to spend my entire day being mindful and productive and awake and aware and just doing things that I ultimately know are good for me, like that I enjoy, but are also good for me. And so that doesn't include watching six hours of Netflix during the day. And that, or, you know, that doesn't include sleeping till noon or um, I don't know, just I'm trying to be very disciplined in just the way I live. And then within that, if I'm living in that way where I'm living relatively disciplined in my own personal hour to hour life, I just tend to get a ton of things done. Mm. you know, so it's like if I just live right, then the work will accomplish itself because I won't be wasting any time. And so the things I choose will ultimately be like the things that I really want to accomplish the most. And so some of those things that I've, I cleaned my closet, some of the things are just nuts and bolts, whatever. I painted, I clean the closet, I sweep the floor every day, I make my bed every day but then I'm also writing songs and working on my book. Sorry.
0: No, that's okay, City man. Bus. We we've got, City bus. it's uh it's Passover here too. So I've got like all these kids like out in the hallway, like singing and praying and stuff. So <laughs> there's lots of Yeah. stuff on my end. Does, what's uh, the, so, so, yeah, I,
2: I, I'm again, I, I feel personally fortunate for the time, despite the fact that it's, a, a bad situation uh, for for the world, and, and that includes me. So, well, um, yeah, I, I I've been having a great time writing, mostly for pleasure, and writing huge amounts, like just pouring it out every day in all sorts of different formats and in notebooks and on my laptop and working on some visual poetry painting as well. And so I've been having a great time just working on my projects like all day, every day. And music, music has also been a part of that. Um, but always writing, always writing.
0: Did you say that you're working on a, on a book book? Like to publish?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Is it a novel or is it poetry?
2: It is an unconventional memoir. Oh, cool. Yeah. So it is a it's the story of the Yeah, it's the story of my life up until now. Well. But just told through different in different ways. So yeah, I will use poetry and short stories, and visual things, and paintings, and, you know, so it's going to be, I guess, sort of mixed media, but not, it, it's, it's going to be a story. It's, it's, it's something you can follow.
0: How far into that project are you?
2: From being done? Yeah. It's so hard to say, because I can see the end, but it's sort of impossible to tell how far away it actually is. Hmm. But I, 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 I understand, like, I know everything that's going to be in it. I know that a lot of it's written. I know that a lot of it's written, but still needs to be refined more. So I'm just in the total weeds of all of it. Someday I'm probably going to wake up and just finish it. Like, if I have the right lightning bolt strike my head, I will just finish it in 16 hours. Whoa. Because it, it's not going to be a 900-page epic, you know what I mean? It's, 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 it's going to be a whole mass-market paperback. Like, I plan to sell as many of them as I can for as cheap as possible.
0: Oh, that's exciting, man. I think we talked about probably like the first the first time maybe that we did this and I was thinking like, "Oh, I'd love if you would if you would put out some type of literature or or poetry." That's exciting. I think maybe the last time we did this I think the first of the 7 inches had come out and if I recall correctly, I thought you said that you'd be putting out four. That you had eight songs. Um, is that still true?
2: Yeah. We so I don't know the last time we talked.
0: I th- I
2: think. <clears throat> I wish I knew that date. Last time we talked, that would give me some reference on it. But we have tri- so Tribulation Volume Two came out. Yeah. Yeah. So Tribulation Work Songs Volume Two came out. That included uh, Revival Fires and Indianapolis Talking Blues. And now we are, we have songs recorded. And so we're sort of figuring out the logistics of getting what will probably be volume three released. We've had some different ideas on what to do. Like at one point, not that long ago, we were talking about the potential of making an LP. But at this point with the way the world is right now and the songs that we have recorded, that we're sitting on, we want to release them. So we're, we're just, we're, we're, we just sort of decided that. And so we're working on making that happen now.
0: Yeah, I think that um, it's weird because like I, I was away for about six months, and that was right kind of like right after we had talked, and I th- I can think about like where I was based on like sort of like the the soundtrack that I used in a lot of places because you know I didn't always have access to Wi-Fi, so it would be like the the songs that I had on my phone I would just play on loop, and like like I was in Taiwan and. There is this band from Taiwan called um The Fur and they're kind of shoegazy, kind of dreamy. And like it it, it sounds like sort of cheesy and romantic, but like it fit Taiwan really well cuz I would like walk around Taiwan at night and it was all lit up and like that was like the perfect soundtrack to it. And I'm pretty sure only the only the first 7-inch had come out from you guys because when I started that trip I was in like uh hot tropical climates and then sort of like the chaos of Jakarta. Um, and I had that playing and playing and I think the second seven inch might've come out like while I was away. Um, but I remember thinking, I can't remember what the question was, Jeff, but I had asked you something about like dream collaboration or like dream influence or something like that. And you had mentioned Patti Smith. um, and when you put out the second seven-inch, the the format for uh, maybe I don't know if format's the right word, but like the delivery of your words for Indianapolis Talking Blues to me felt very much like uh, almost spoken word, like kind of like like a piss factory influence. I don't know if that's fair to say, but I thought it was like a cool yeah. like a cool potential crossover into doing something in more of like a written poetry format, if that makes sense. I don't know. Um.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that song was a bridge for me, or it was obviously something that I I specifically wanted to do that then I was, you know, I was sort of allowed to be able to do by my band members because I, I know that Creatively, it was you know it's a certain choice that not everyone wants to hear spoken word poetry, you know, with an instrumental backdrop, you know, when you want hardcore punk or whatever you want us. us. Uh, but and I you know I don't it's like I don't want to change the essence to the band musically in any way that isn't um, genuine, but that doing that song felt really good, and it was really fun to make the video and release it. It was very, it was just exciting because it was so new, and it was so fresh. So it was exciting to me, and it and it felt like old days when you weren't so established and you were like trying to make a move, and so it it just felt good to release it. Uh, yeah, like proud of it.
0: I mean, you mentioned the. Uh possible LP. Like does Deathwish have plans to put out two more songs or is there anything in the works for that?
2: Do they have plans to what? I'm sorry?
0: To do like a, a third seven inch in the series with two more songs or no?
2: Oh yeah, a third seven inch. Yeah. So I mean yeah, I think that's hopefully what's gonna happen. Um I just I don't, I'm not in on the planning of the I, I, I guess Chris is talking to the label is what I should say. Chris is talking to the label and not me. So I just don't know exactly what's going on with it at this moment. But, so I hesitate to say anything. But uh, yeah, I think we're going to put out a new record soon. We have the songs done. We need to get it mixed. And so we're looking for the right person to mix the songs because they're... they're four, the four songs that we have are all very, very different musically we're all pretty eclectic in their own right. And so we sort of want to pursue a unique way to mix the songs as well. Like that, just looking at each song very individually instead of as a lump. That makes sense.
0: Yeah. For, for like I was mentioning the potential, uh, like Patti Smith influence. Is there like a, a particular influence for those songs that are recorded sonically that might sound different from past stuff or not?
2: You're asking what might have influenced the the new batch of songs. Is that sort of a question?
0: Yeah, from like a from a sonic standpoint, because you were saying that each of the songs sounds like a bit different. Um,
2: yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, we've been playing one song out live that is going to be on one of the records called Survival. And it's an adaptation of an old reggae song, Um, but we essentially are playing it like a very fast, very primitive punk song. And so... That the original song you know that we adapted it from was one of my favorite songs of, of my entire life, and so it was just an honor to be able to play it. And the reaction that we've been getting from it live has been really, really great and really interesting. So that's a yeah, that's an exciting song that, that we're gonna put out. Uh, I sort of took a different vocal approach with it and I had a lot of fun with my vocal approach to it. Uh, I allowed myself to have a lot of fun with it. I'll say that. So I go, uh, unhinged in a little bit of a different way than I normally do when I do my thing. Yeah. So, and then, uh, and then we have a song, we have another song, um, that is quite rhythmic and influenced by a bass line, and is sort of lo- more, I guess, focused on low end than loud guitars. And that's that's an interesting song too. Maybe maybe a little bit Clash esque. And so yeah, I mean, like I'm I'm in my happy place in the band right now because we're just exploring different styles and we're exploring different styles that are things that I really, really genuinely love and, and want to do. So it's, it's, yeah, it's a pretty exciting time. Honestly, I don't know if we're going to get to play together in person anymore, but.
0: Yeah. Well that, I mean, that stuff sounds exciting to me, man. (laughs) Um, Do you like, uh, do you pay attention at all to any of the people who are doing, you know, live remote music and like, you know, Instagram stuff right now?
2: Yes. I've, I've tuned into some things, but it seems pretty overwhelming. It's hard for me to remember to catch everything. I really need to, just choose what I actually want to tune into, and then actually tune in and watch the whole thing. Because I hate looking at my phone all day. Yeah. Sometimes it seems easy to be on your phone trying to catch live things all day, and it seems like a waste of the day sometimes. But um, what have, what have you seen that's been cool that you would recommend?
0: I'll, I'll start this out <laughs> like kind of negatively. Um, uh, this is like a real place of judgment. But for me, when I'm looking at it, like in my mind, I have to, I have to kind of parcel out what feels authentic and what feels like people like grasping for attention. Like th- maybe that sounds like super snarky. Um, I don't know. Like some of the people who are more like celebrities, I guess, like TV show people and stuff who are doing stuff. I'm like, ah, maybe, maybe sit this one out, maybe take a break. Uh, But then there's like the genuine artists who are, I guess at least in my judgmental uh, opinion. Well,
2: I know. I I, I 100% agree with you when it comes to the celebrity thing and the thing with people who have a lot of money and resources already. Yeah, I do feel like that. Like, hey, there's a lot of people out of work and a lot of like really actually struggling artists out there trying to make a dollar literally to eat food. And so why don't you put down? Yeah. Yeah. Why don't you tune out for a minute? Yeah. And let some some other people shine basically. Um, But it's a weird, it's just this, obviously it's a strange time for promoting or selling anything. It's really an odd time for that. And I'm, I'm, I'm promoting a record right now, which is just, it just happened to have it happened to go down at this particular moment. And and so that was just the fate of it because we had the plan to do it, you know, to be promoting it right now and then it's going to come out in June. And, you know, we kind of had a quick phone call. We we're like, all right, are we still doing this right now? Even though the world seems to be crumbling and then our, our, answer was yes we're still going to do this like why would we not put out the record that we worked so hard on and want to put out just because of whatever the fuck is going on in the world Um, but when I'm promoting it I am trying to be you know aware of everyone's different feelings and ways this is affecting them trying not to be like hey (laughs) I don't know so I don't want to take advantage of the situation or any, you know, I don't, and I don't want to bother people. So it's just kind of like, but I do feel like art is important right now. I, if I think it's great that people are going to put out important works of art right now, it needs to happen. So let's, let's try to make them.
0: Yeah. So let me, I'm going to come back because like that was one of the main reasons I wanted to talk to you, Jeff, uh, was that new project. But I'll finish, I guess, what I started with, something more positive. Uh, so I've been reading a lot because I'm trying to, just like a personal challenge, do 52 books this year. Um, and oh, so wow.
2: Book of, is it, wait, that's a book a week?
0: It's a book a week, yeah. Um, and actually, like coronavirus has been <laughs> perfect for that because I've got nothing but time. Um, so I've been reading a lot, but in terms of the live stuff, I checked out um, uh, Ben Nichols from Lucero did a couple of things, and he did sort of a talk with this guy that he – a musician that he goes on tour with a lot um, named Corey Brannon. That was cool. Uh, Matt Pryor from the Get Up Kids, I've been checking his out because that makes me feel like I'm 13 again. Um, We saw – sometimes we'll go to these shows in New York – they're called so far sound shows, and they're sort of those like secret location shows. And that's yep. been that's been cool to, you know, it's a mixed bag. Like we saw this guy in San Francisco who did spoken word action and that was really amazing. Uh, we saw a comedian recently, um, and we saw this uh, this artist from Tennessee named Annika Bennett, and she did one recently that was cool. I know uh, I have in my queue to see. Uh, Julian Baker, uh, the tallest man on Earth, did one that I thought was pretty cool. Um, so I have I have been watching some of those, um, and you know enjoyed them. So I don't want to sound super snarky. Um,
2: one thing I do, one thing I do, I have done, and then I'm s- sort of loosely planning on doing on my own, is I do like to tune into. DJs just spinning records especially if it's casual and they're just hanging out and it's not you know what I mean where they'll converse with you or like talk about a song or just be like sort of conversational in a way and that's pretty chill because that does feel to me like hanging out with people in a way and and so that makes my lonely nights go a little bit better if I can like tune into someone who's just spinning records I'm like oh cool I'm just gonna like sort of hang out with these people and my cat and like eat a snack and kick it tonight. Cause like, there's nowhere to go and there's nothing to do.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, I had, um, I think we talked a bit last time about how you had been, you know, uh, DJing for events. And I, I'm assuming based on like, sort of just following your, again, like your digital avatar that you've been doing that in California as well. What's the, um, this might sound like a almost like a selfish type of thing, but and I don't mean it that way. But like, is there a similar payout when you're DJing as compared to like when you see people who are enjoying your band and like um, uh, sort of like getting emotion out to your band? Like, is there a, is there a similar maybe like endorphin rush or a feeling like when you see people that are really getting into like? Maybe songs that they hadn't heard before, or like dancing to stuff that like you're excited to share with them, if that makes sense.
2: well, <clears throat> they, they they are two very different things. And I mean, modern life is war is obvious, and hardcore music in general is obviously very tribal. And so that's what a real modern life is. There's that You know, most modern life is war shows or sets these days is a tribal experience where people are stage diving, moving, singing along, singing together, touching, you know, touching each other. Like it's physical. It is like, you know, it's a ritual that we do essentially. Mm. And obviously a powerful one and one that's very fun and fulfilling in a lot of ways, but that's, you know, sort of how I look at it. And the DJ thing is a bit more tricky because that's what I want out of DJing. But the, it's very, very difficult to get there with DJ because you're dealing with more of like the general public than, you know, like no one is just going to accidentally go to a modern life is war show. And like, end up partying with everyone, you know, it's like either you're intentionally going to have that experience or you're not, and you don't know what it is, or you don't understand it, or you don't like it. And so with DJing, it's just kind of like, it's, I guess what I'm saying is it's harder to get to that level of excitement and that level of um, just sort of like spiritual bliss of having a, shared experience with a bunch of people in a powerful way Mm. but you can get their djing and when you do it's a very different thing because compared to the band it can be much more uh joyous sounding or you know the music is different and it has a different um it has a different emotional appeal to it so it's kind of like a you know it's like a I don't know. They're they're both feelings of, like, relative ecstasy, but one is very sunny and bright and joyous and you want to hug people, and the other one's sort of, like, um, screaming against the evil system and trying to dismantle it and trying to be at war with yourself for the things that you know are inhibiting your own growth or your own life, you know? So it's just more... One is so dark and intense and heavy, and the other can just be more free and, um, and really uniting of all people, not just some angry ass kids who like this one punk band. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like you, I can go out with my records and cross boundaries with people that like can blow your mind because I have records from, all different parts of the world that represent all different musicalities of Latin America and Mexico. And you know what I mean? Like it's just, it's a whole different, it's a whole different thing. You know, African music, like it's, everything is so like, like my record collection is sort of just like this tool that I can use to reach out to people with modern life is war. It's like, if you're a, hip hop head and you're at this show like maybe something will connect but like probably not and there's nothing i can't reach out to you musically mm. i can't bring you in we're just going to do our our ritualistic thing that we do the way we do it um so djing and that kind of approach it's just more pliable it's more it, it just there's different open doors involved in that um but In some ways, you know, the band is more predictably satisfying, for sure, where you you know that people are going to be excited. A lot of DJ sets are disappointing. DJing is disappointing more than it's satisfying to me.
0: Disappointing for the listener or, like, disappointing for you if people aren't into it? Disappointing,
2: yeah. I mean, for me, if people aren't into it, because it's just, um, I don't know. It's, it's just a hard thing to describe, I guess. But um, I mean, you know, DJing for me at this point in my life, I don't, I don't even know if it's something I'm seriously pursuing right now. Mm-hmm. It's something that I will always do, probably for the rest of my life. But I might never do it outside my bedroom again. I don't know. You know, it, it, or, or I might do it for a living again sometime. I don't know but it's something I love. It's part of my life, but I'm not necessarily like obsessed with being an active DJ at all times because it takes a lot of time and energy and my time and energy is somewhat limited. So I got to use it for the, you know, the things that are most important right now.
0: That makes sense. The, the new project you've released like, uh, some snippets of, so it's hard to get, uh, a full grasp or a full gauge on what that's going to be. Um, are yeah. you, are you cool with sharing what that is and like what, you, what your role in it is?
2: Oh yeah. I'd love to talk about it. Cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This is my favorite subject. No, I'm, this is what I'm most excited about right now. So it's, yeah, it's like, I love talking about it. Um, all right. So what it is, is feel free high fi Feel Free Hi-Fi is my very old and dear friend, Sean Reed, and his friend, Derek Maxwell. And Feel Free Hi-Fi is, is those two and their sound system that they built. So they they built their own wooden speaker boxes and did all the wiring and... Oh drilled the holes and sanded it and painted it and you know put put on the grills and like made this beautiful piece of art that is also a incredibly incredibly sonically impressive piece of machinery that can blow your mind with sound and so they me and Sean are old friends we met I just posted a picture of me and him yesterday and I think we were probably 20 years old. So, you know, almost 20 years ago, we were playing music together. So that's how far we go back. Um, And Sean's interest in, I guess just I'll say in a very general way, like esoteric music or experimental music runs pretty deep. He was listening to bizarre Music When we met, when I was still very, very pedestrian about my interests in punk rock and, and youth crew hardcore, that was like the only shit I was really listening to. And then he exposed me to like all the weird stuff and, and started getting me into different rabbit holes. So, um, our musical paths were very different through, through life. Like after we played in a band together for a short time. But the thing that he, did, he the thing that he did was played a lot of really um, experimentally based music and started a pretty influential uh, record label called Night People Records and um, and he played in a band called Wet Hair and you know he's just done a lot of very cool interesting stuff in his life uh, I think Night People did like 200 releases. That's what he told me. Uh, so, you know, they have, they, they supported a lot of artists over a lot of years and put out a ton of releases that are all beautiful. He did the artwork for all the releases on his label and was, you know, to the level of hand dubbing each tape in his home, you know, he's just a very tactile hands-on artist mind and person. And, so anyways, me and Sean's friendship has just been ongoing, you know, for our most or you know, half of our lives. And we at some point started converging on our interest in certain types of electronic music and specifically electronic music rooted in Jamaican music. So getting into dance hall, dub and those sort of genres of music including the the hard digital stuff and the dark you know more um more like political end of that um like lindsey johnson or the bug or that kind of music um and so basically Sean gets together with Derek and they build this sound system. And I see that they're doing that and, you know, just kind of get a hold of Sean and essentially just express my excitement about what he's doing, because that's music that we started to understand um, each in our own different way and kind of get into. And then I saw that he was really committing to making that part of his life and creating that style of music. And so I was just immediately like, Hey, I'll like I will help any way I can or be involved in any way I can, and so I I made a trip up there. These guys are based in Minneapolis in the Twin Cities, and so I made a trip up there to to spin records and do an event with them where they were just bringing out the sound system. And we were just doing DJ sets on it. So that evolved into. Derek and Sean making instrumental music together under the name feel free hi-fi as original, you know, as original music. And so then at some point they started talking about the potential of having vocalists on this music. And so that's where Sean reached out to me and said, Hey, if you want to you know, think about this, put, put some vocals down on any of this, or, you know, let me know if you like a certain song or, or whatever comes up. And so he sent me a whole batch of music and I picked out a few things that I was like immediately, like, absolutely. Yes. I don't need, you know, I don't even have to think about it. Like, this is something I want to do. And I picked two songs out of the batch that I was like, okay, I want to do a ton, but I just want to work on these two songs. And they had contacted another vocalist in the same manner as me, like, hey, you hear anything you like, let us know. And he got back to them with the same two tracks that I had chose out of maybe 10. And so me, as a vocalist, kind of in my own entity, and Eddie Hill, who's the other vocalist, who is a New Yorker, He's in Brooklyn. Um, we collaborated on what ended up being four songs, and then there are two instrumentals in that record that we all made together over the last I don't know year. Basically, will be out this summer. So it's called Profit War.
0: What are the what's the, what is the like the vocal style? Like it's, it seems like it's hip hop, right? Like so is there is it like a far-
2: I mean, I, would, I definitely wouldn't say it's hip hop um I mean it's really it's just heavy dark electronic music is what it is
1: Whoa.
2: um the the vocal approach for me is basically somewhat as a narrator and a poet so I do I do a lot of spoken word and I do a lot of narration type things as if I was like, you know, as if they gave William Burroughs the mic for a fucking heavy electronic music set. Whoa. Like the Burroughs and dub record or the last poets and dub record, um, or anything, and Questy Johnson or anything, you know, like I have all, all of course the clash of uh, Patti Smith course. But yeah, that, that whole idea is definitely constitutes a big part of what I did on the record. But I also have several moments where I go vocally hard, like as hard as I ever go. Wow. And so there are times where I'm like aggressive and going full lyrical attack, like going. And so, and then Eddie is has like a completely, completely different background and musical approach. So Ed coming being a true MC who's able to improvise, he's coming from uh, being able to properly do dancehall music, he's coming from flex music, he's coming, you know, so he's come from not punk rock. Like, you know what I mean? Not hardcore. Like that is out of the, for his growing up and his musical experience. But he's like, you know, an open-minded. And and so we got over these two songs just as two people who didn't know each other. And we just started talking and we just, I called him up basically. It was like, Hey, So we chose the same two songs, you know, what's up, man? How you doing? Like, (laughs) And just started talking and we just sort of formed like a cool friendship through this thing where we, you know, we really got to know each other and we came from two completely different starting points musically and were able to make four songs together where we're both, collaborating on the vocals and going back and forth and singing with each other or going over top of each other, you know, battling each other. And it's, uh, so yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's a very, very, it's a very, very interesting record. Like, I don't, I think it's going to at least get credit for being unique. I don't, there's, there's a lot of reference points, but I don't, I think in the way that it's all put together, it's pretty fresh
0: the visuals you've put out, uh, have been really cool. Are you, are you going to put out a video for, for like a, like a single?
2: Yeah, we're going to do, uh, we're going to do two videos. We're going to do a video for hyena and we're going to do a video for black mats. And I think that, I mean, those, yeah, twenty seven, twenty five. Yeah. Just leave it right there. Thanks, man. Yeah. Uh Mac shut up <laughs> Later. uh yes, yeah, so we have two videos: Hyena and Black Mask, and they the hyena one we shot in New York, actually just hanging out and like going to all these different spots and doing the lyrics together and just going crazy so that that one is me and Eddie hanging out, just the two of us. And it it's pretty, I think it's going to be a fun video. And I, I don't, the other one, I think is going to be, I don't know if we're going to be in it. It might just be visual stuff, but yeah, we'll, we'll have a couple videos drop for it. And, uh, and the vinyl will, will be out on, on digital sting, which is the, you know, the house label. Feel free to high five.
0: Is there the potential to, to do stuff live or to tour on it?
2: Yes. Yeah, so we perform live twice. We did our first show in a basement in Minneapolis. Oh, cool. Uh, that was something like December 27th of last year. And then we did a set on New Year's in in Des Moines. And so and that's when we so we were we were together for a week and that's when we got together and finished all the recording and tracking for the record and spent time hanging out and like sort of becoming more of like a band type feeling. And then we, and then we went and did two live shows just sort of established that we could, well, I I don't think any, any of us doubted that we could do it live, but I was not nervous, but I was quite unsure exactly how it was going to play out because the nature of it is just so different than, the way the band performs. Um, Anyways, the, the shows went really, really well. The Minneapolis show is one of my favorite musical performance memories of my life.
1: Whoa. (laughs) Was it?
2: That's just partially due to the fact that I had been craving to perform something outside of the band for a long time. And I find, and that was the first time that I got to do that in all this time. So it was exciting. And then the Des Moines show was a different beast, but again, we, (laughs) the Des Moines show was, it was kind of a setup because we didn't really announce that we were going to do it. And we just sort of injected a set at 1am on new year's Eve when people weren't really knowing that it was going to happen or expecting it or even being there for it. And so we were, we were throwing the big new year's party and then we also did this live set that people didn't even know about. And so we kind of caught everyone off guard at that show, but we went hard as fuck and it went, you know, the set felt amazing. So I I can't wait to do feel free Hi Fi live. We can definitely bring it live. Eddie is a powerhouse lyrically and vocally and he is a, yeah, he is a, he's a powerhouse. He's really fun to see live. And that's coming from me who I obviously, you know, at this point, I, I understand that I can command people's attention on stage and I have my work cut out for me when me and Eddie oh, shit. are up next to each other because he's like very, he has a huge presence and a huge uh, a huge charisma and so I'm um, the uh, the other part about feel free hi-fi is that I'm just like really happy to be involved with this group of people so I can I'm like a fan of what they're doing I just get to be involved with it. so I would want to be at the Eddie Hill show or like the feel free hi-fi dj set that's like that shows that I would want to go hang out at and be a part of. So it, it doesn't, I don't feel a sense of ownership about it. Exactly. I feel a lot of honor to be in that group of people, but I don't feel like it's my thing. Like I'm not the lead singer of the band. That's not how it is. Like I'm, I'm part of a really small tight knit collective and I have a microphone. Like everyone everyone has their weapon and I have my weapon and I'm part of that tight knit little group. And it's that's pretty much what they
0: did. When you're writing, Jeff, like, do you I know you're saying that you're writing kind of nonstop, but do you when you're writing something, do you think like I'm writing this for feel free hi-fi, or do you take something that you already wrote and try to fit that in to maybe like the sonic part of that music, if that makes sense.
2: For feel free Hi Fi, most of the lyrics that I wrote were intentional for the purpose of feel free. Yeah. The, the style of music that we're working in is, um, You know, there's culture behind it. And it's important to be mindful of that. It's important to not um, degrade or disrespect that in any way. And so, and, and I guess when, you know, when it comes down to it, I felt like I had some sort of political statements that I wanted to make. And I thought this was a great, opportunity to make some of those and and so i did i did make those statements but i i worked on them as pieces of you know i i I took it as a craft and worked on those songs and whittled them down and you know i i i took my time with it and made sure that i presented it in the way that i want to in the way that I think it needed to be presented. So, um, and that was two of the songs. And then the other two songs were created when we were all together in the basement in Minneapolis. And me and Eddie got the chance to, in person, live, face-to-face, write lyrics, get on the mic, demo something, go back to the drawing board, cut it live a few times, And then like record the track. And I had never really got that experience before where I was doing things completely on the fly and and starting a song that day. And by the end of the studio day, that song is tracked and we're mixing it. Mm. And that was, um, that was a really cool experience as well. But everything with feel free has been intentional writing wise for sure. It's It's a vision.
0: It's cool, man. It's I, I'm excited for you. Like, I'm excited to hear it. You can definitely, again, like I just you know I follow you online, right? Whatever that means. But you can see that you have like a lot of passion and like a lot of joy behind it. So it's cool to see how excited you are about it. Because I get, you know, obviously I get excited about Modern Life is War. So if you're getting super excited about a project that you're putting out, um, you know, I think that means it's going to be pretty sweet. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it's cool to see you passionate about it, I guess is is what I'm trying to say.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I feel incredibly lucky to have this, to have the ability to work on this. It's just, it's been, it's been super fulfilling and reaffirming when it comes to things that I believe in or the things that I think are best about music or, or even people, you know, it's just like, wow, like just to have a truly, truly positive experience. Like you know, in the in the world of music, again, it's just like wow, this is so cool. <laughs> it it just feels feels very lucky.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's cool to hear that your buddy also is is from from Brooklyn because maybe that means that uh, there's a potential show in the works. Maybe when things open up, whoever knows, whenever the hell that is. Uh, but.
2: I'll say right now, when things open up, I'm ready to <laughs> go to New York and play a show.
0: Sweet, that's but cool.
2: I think it's going to be a minute. <laughs> I think we're going to be, I think we're going to be a while on that. But I'm ready when it happens. Cool. Well,
0: it's good to hear. I, I should, I should start to wrap. I'm, you know, I'm technically at work right now uh, and need to get back to it. But it's, I mean, I'm really excited to hear Jeff that like. Uh, one day down the road, there will be a multi-format or not maybe format, but uh pretty eclectic memoir that's coming out. And then, uh, this record sounds like it's going to be awesome. And then I look forward to, to also hearing those modern life is war songs, obviously, because as you know, you are the front man for, uh, you know, my favorite punk hardcore band. So, uh, yeah, I'm super excited to hear that all that stuff's going to come out, hopefully when things start opening back up.
2: Yeah. yeah, well, hey, it's great to see
0: you, Tim. Yeah, of course. Thank you. That is a wrap on episode number 152 of the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. Thank you to Jeff for coming on. I forgot to mention this in the outset, but... If that first three minutes sounded good, that is because the wizard was able to fix my audio. I spent like the first three minutes of this one not even talking into the microphone. You'd think after 151 previous episodes, I'd have a little more professionalism, but you'd think wrong. But seriously, folks, I hope you enjoyed this one. I love talking to Jeff. Can't wait for Modern Life is War to tour again. Can't wait to check out Feel Free Hi-Fi, both the release when it comes out and then when they eventually get to play some shows that are close to their home. Uh, really excited about that. And the memoir too, sounds really, really cool. So uh, some really cool nuggets came out of this episode that I'm super excited about. I've got a whole bunch of stuff booked over, I don't even know, over the next maybe two weeks. Um, now people are stuck home, so a lot of folks are interested in talking to me and joining the Voyager family, which is really cool. So I got lots of really exciting stuff coming. So be sure to subscribe and to stay tuned because there are more episodes on the way. All right, folks, thank you. And as always, please take care of each other, especially now. But I will catch you next time. Bye-bye.